0: IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson.
1: Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This is the podcast for conscious leaders who are seeking to reach their IntelliKey, or soul's purpose, human potential, in their companies and for themselves. And Kirsten, this idea of IntelliKey, meaning people, planet, and profits, has really been a ripe area of discussion, hasn't it?
2: It has been, and it's getting bigger, is what we're finding from all of these leaders throughout, you know, global leaders who are really engaged in pulling this together and making the shift for the future, or actually not even shift for the future, shift for here and now, so we can have policies that do embrace these ideas. Yes. It's been exciting.
1: Well, along those lines, our guest today is Joel Solomon. Joel, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This is a topic that I've spent a lot of my life on.
1: (laughs) Well, Joel is a founder and executive of the Renewal Funds. This is a financial company that's looking to capitalize and fund companies that are value driven in British Columbia and beyond. Joel's also the co-author of a book with a great title, The Clean Money Revolution. And Joel, I think we've got to start here, this, this call to action to move the money from what used to be damaging you know to what could be regenerative the potential
3: power of that is enormous and there is an opportunity to reinvent the future maybe an odd concept but reinvent the direction that society has been going money has become a driver of far too much on the planet and how we are as humans what uh, our emotional bodies are all kinds of far-reaching things And we need to understand, break it down and return it to a more humane and generative substance Mm -hmm. (laughs) and exchange of goods and services on the planet. So I find that a very fascinating and very large and complex topic to take on.
2: I love it. I love fascinating, large, complex. Those are like key words that I absolutely embrace and love. I have to ask, how did you get into this, right? This is a newer conversation, this younger generation. I mean, we know here in the States, Al Gore tried to have this conversation and he's been booed off the stage in more places than we can imagine, including France, right? How did you get involved in this, you know, I call it a revolution that is now finally starting to take root and anchor in, in a meaningful way?
3: I think that the beginning for me is a very unique and special mother. My family was based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm in my late 60s now, which means I came of age during the 60s. And the turbulence and the reality of living in the southern United States during the emergence of just after the Civil Rights Act, that Lyndon Johnson passed, and moving into the turbulence of the late 60s and the questioning of capitalism and society uh, was enhanced at the dinner table because my mother was someone always questioning and uneasy with the way society was going. And she had moved from Chicago to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And back in that era, it was unusual for a woman to have a career. There were many things about the 60s in which my family, driven a lot by my mother's uh, passions, became a good kitchen table for talking about the issues of the day and for me being influenced to, to know that it really mattered what was I going to do with my life and how would I interact with the society around me. That's the core. Since we started with a little Al Gore, my family was very political. Their position was ignore politics at your peril. Uh, They came from backgrounds that had had troubles in Eastern Europe and uh, very difficult times that uh, I don't need to recount. They're well known by probably everyone, Jews in Central and Eastern Europe, and then uh, the immigration that happened for the Lucky Ones pre-World War II, ending up all across uh, the, the world, but particularly in the United States, and winding up in in places that were fairly obscure, like small town Tennessee. And growing up during that era and watching what was on television at the time, student riots, uh, the 1968 Democratic Convention, the war in Vietnam, Kent State shootings, that was a lot of the material that was what I consumed of of the news and of what the world was like. Uh, The countdown to the Vietnam War draft, I was lucky to have a very not good number, but the year after the draft ended. A lot of those issues brought me to start thinking about the world, about politics, around capitalism. What was I to do with my life? What is a good life? How can I be a contributor that makes a difference? And so I was seated with those questions early on and they've never left me. And in fact, I've uh, my decades since then have been very immersed in them in various ways.
1: Well, I had no idea, Joel, that uh, a company of British Columbia would take us to a conversation about Tennessee, Uh, but I did did (laughs) notice you didn't have the Canadian accent I expected either. (laughs) (laughs) But given that fabric of your background, you know, I do understand now the tone of this clean money revolution, you know, that you really saw it as a mission as a revolution not simply a financial play you know of just returns on investment
3: and i felt that the pragmatism and the necessity in current times to be able to make some proof of concept and make more tangible some philosophical and political views by the practical work of raising money from investors finding entrepreneurs and businesses which were inspired and challenging values of the day and attempting to create products that you think about all the way back to the source, what are the effects of the mining of the natural resources that are harvested, of the attempt to find cheap labor that you pay almost nothing to and where a lot of the resources are created and extracted from, and then modern capitalism builds a chain where you end up being able to create and invent new products. And with the rise of consumer society and then awareness in the world of just where these products come from and how are people treated that have something to do with them, led me to a statement that I I like to say because it's provocative and evocative, which is there's a lot of blood on money. If you go back to the source, There's a lot of damage to the natural world. There's a lot of long-term damage to the safety of human health and and those kinds of topics. And that period and the influence of, of family and circumstance really led me to a passion that this could be done differently, it should be done differently, and there are people who are doing it differently, and those early entrepreneurs maybe some uh, activist people challenging status quo had a huge influence on me, which I'm very grateful for.
2: I love that you made it a very blunt statement. There is blood on money. Here in the United States, we struggle with organized crime and the influence in a lot of the industry and unions. I mean, even those set to help the people are still, you know, have tainted blood and it is starting to shift. So I guess um, the question, I have two statements and you can take it in any direction, but It's not lost on me that you're in Canada right now, which is really dealing with the discovery of all of these indigenous children, right, at these churches that as a result of their separation, we're going through it here in the States, they just discovered it in Oklahoma, we're having a lot of this. I'm curious to know how do policies like that as we're looking as nations, plural, globally, because this is everywhere, right, reparation and really repairing the damage that has been done historically. And money has the capacity to do that if it's in the right hands, right? And I'm not just saying money, but how money is used and where it goes and what policies are influenced. But secondarily, uh, you know, part of your what bio talks about profitability. You're very profitable as a result of good policies, good, clean, honest, right policies. So I don't know if there's a way to tie those two in, but... You know, I do. I'm intrigued by profitability. I mean, who doesn't like profitability?
3: Absolutely. And the reality is as idealistic as we want to be about trying to invent a world that doesn't even exist. And we somehow all uh, take care of each other and take care of the, the planet so that we can live happily ever after. Unfortunately, it's a complex world. And moving towards 10 billion people, perhaps even in our lifetimes on the planet, and what the machinery and the industrialization, the manufacturing, the production of products, the things they're packaged in, and then the side effects of all that, which is a tremendous amount of waste material, side effects, toxic and otherwise. And we, it's, the, the times are very, very complex. We are also in a period of a lot more awakening about these topics. We have more access to information We get to travel, uh, we get to see what's going on in the world to a large degree, and there's a rising of activism, caring, and focus on how we do better. And the how we do better economy is really what captures my attention and why I'm in the work that I am.
1: And I guess to bring it to that practical level, we've talked about our backgrounds, beliefs, and values, but you have a nearly $100 million venture capital fund putting money behind these principles. And I'm That's just right. curious on a very practical level, you look at these early growth stage companies, some of these entrepreneurs doing the positive work that you're describing on a very day-to-day level, what kind of impact can that amount of money make?
3: It's actually uh, uh 240 million now. And Outstanding. We come- <laughs> and we're We'll go raise our next fund we're gearing up to raise our next fund because we've uh, finished almost finished placing the current funds so our job is to look for entrepreneurs who are aligned with the kinds of values that we've already shared about here today these are people who can see the deeper picture of where resources come from how labor is is treated found and treated how waste the waste products are created i mean a, a recent one that I'm really excited about, that I personally got involved in, is a, a, a potato chip company, but that has a completely compostable potato chip bag. Now, the number of potato chip bags that are now in the bellies of sea creatures that are broken into little pieces and leaving kind of toxic history you know, all over the landscape, well, the good news is it's something that uh, corporations and others realize is becoming more visible and more transparent to citizens Mm -hmm. and so the the race is on the pressure is on for even the largest corporations that maybe have had very egregious practices in the past to clean up their act and for all of us to clean up our act that's personal that's uh institutional it's capitalism and etc so it's an exciting time to be involved with the entrepreneurship the creativity and ingenuity that is going into how do we carry on with modern society? And I'm looking around the room, I'm sitting in now, how many things are made of plastic? How many things will never be reused again? they will be one shot, they'll end up, they may end up in the Ganges River, flowing by the holiest sites on the planet. Um, And so there's a massive effort underway to clean up our act. The good news is that the consumer or the investor all of us who invest our retirement funds who sh- do business with banks in order to get a home mortgage and and things like that are starting to think about and ask more questions and make new demands on going all the way back to the sources how people are treated how planet is treated how our waste is treated and we have future generations that we care about and we're at a crucial period in in human history that that we need more and more of us to make choices at an everyday consumer level, where we work, what kind of companies we associate ourselves with, that we pay attention to the political systems, that we really understand much more is connected than we may have lived as if that were true. And it will be more and more incumbent upon us that we do so.
1: Well, you've described the creativity and innovation of these small startup kind of companies, but I was wondering, again, on a very day-to-day level, do you feel like that they are pushing these new ideas out, saying, hey, there's a better way to make a potato chip bag, for example, or is it in response to a consumer demand? You know, that a new generation of consumers says, I don't want to see that plastic bag ever again. Well, it's, it's all of the above.
3: Things are complex and our systems are complex. And when you start to follow a question about where's this packet, how come all these packages are lying around the landscape? How come they're in the bodies of fish and other animals and our own bodies? Uh, it's coming back around to us. It will break down to the molecular level. You'd end up drinking the water. The cycle continues. We have, a, we have, all, we have explosive rates of toxicity and diseases that we may not have had in the past. And it's affecting human health. And it affects the most important part, which is our future generations. It's very hard because we have such good information now, relatively speaking, to ignore and just toughen our skins and not pay attention to it.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And we have our own health that we're concerned about, our children's health. And We are at a moment of, we're an inflection point, there is urgency, there is ingenuity, there's capacity, we have more and more skills to do things better with less harm, and that is going steadily to increase as a moral and ethical responsibility of most of us as humans, and in the systems that we create in order to make life better and so this is creating a next wave of major ingenuity entrepreneurial enthusiasm and has the possibility to create a broader access to resources for more people on the planet if we follow the entire chain back to i'm talking to you on a cell phone right now the story of what's in this cell phone the people who whose lives are working at barely above forced labor right and then there's a waste product that's got to be dealt with that's creating health harms and and such that I've mentioned and that we're all aware of um, this is i don't know what the name of this revolution is, but it's a responsibility to the future revolution and it's essential and we all need to pay attention to what our role is in that what our responsibility is in it and how we can support that, which will make this cleaner, healthier, and be sure that future generations can have a decent life on this planet.
1: Well, I wonder given that Joel is, well, Kirsten, often we say, well, what can one person do? So I I was gonna, that's
2: exactly what I was gonna pick up on that responsibility word. Like that's such a great word.
1: And I think as you were describing it, Joel, it's like, yes, we as consumers, but now uh, as investors, you know, both as individuals, and perhaps we have companies that that uh, we're investing in. But uh, where where do you see that we, a listener picking up this podcast right now, could say, "Here's how I could make a difference." Read the labels. Look up with well, those. Well, uh,
2: let me let me let me ask you something, yeah. right? Because even if you look at the marine, you know, if you look yeah. at marine life, those labels don't mean anything, right? With our dolphin safe. You know, suppose a dolphin safe, but when you really start tracking, they're not really dolphin safe. You think you're getting something, but money is paying some tickets to help cover up what's really happening, right? So where do we go beyond labels? I know that's a starting point. The point
3: of it is read the label at the level of buying something off the supermarket shelf. Read the label of your politicians, your elected officials, those who set the regulations and the rules find out the history and the sourcing and the practices do what you can to make conscious choices between the worst actors and the better actors and don't let down that intensity because if we could really understand what's going on with the amount of plastics the amount of toxics the effects on nature on human health uh, as we do that more and more, because we are learning more and more that environmental diseases are are becoming enormous, uh, in other words, the effect we have on the environment and how that comes back and touches us, we've been brilliant and ingenious at creating all kinds of ways to distribute things around the planet and to make unique and wonderful <laughs> or, or seemingly wonderful um, items and consumer things that we can use to Uh, Maybe we want to make ourselves look better. Maybe we want to avoid unnecessary illnesses and things like that. How we do this is still to be that that game is to be played out. But we're already several decades into the awareness and the making of choices. And we have an entrepreneurial sector and a part of capitalism now that is being occupied by people who care people who care about the underlying topics that we're talking about, not simply making money at unknown, but large costs to all kinds of other parts of the natural world and to other humans. This conversation will keep happening. There are genius waves of younger people now committed to this. There are people making choices about where am I gonna work? Where am I not gonna work? How are my choices just that seem so innocuous and humble, we actually are affecting the entire world with these choices. And you multiply it times 100 million people and a billion people, and you really start to see some math that can be quite harrowing. It helps that we get a little scared and that we learn about some of these things and then make a commitment to higher purpose and to future generations that we're going to make better choices.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're describing a lot of things that have an emotional basis, not just a factual basis. And, you know, sitting on boards, as you were describing uh, before we got on the call, yeah, some of these things are from the heart. They're from the gut. It's not just on the balance sheet or it's not just on the you know, sort of mission statement that's placed on the wall you know, for all to, yeah. to see. Yeah,
3: that just... Takes my mind to if we are people that are involved in uh, religious traditions. I think our religious traditions—they're supposed to help us with our morality and our ethics and our long-term thinking and our contribution to future generations and that kind of thing—and they're going to have to go through, or they are going through, their own reinvention if they're going to help me with my spiritual questions and what's a soul and uh, what comes after me and what's my deathbed going to be like when as as I look back. Will future generations consider me a villain or uh, might they be able to look at me a little more kindly if I've chosen a life to question these current assumptions and make better choices in life?
1: And do you feel, Joel, coming back around to the kitchen table then and the influence of your family at an early age, do you feel like you're on your calling is it a higher purpose that you're pursuing?
3: It's always a bit lofty to uh talk about higher purpose, but absolutely. I've described the, the benefit I had from my home life because I did have parents who who did their best in their period of time uh to to try to make things better and see a more fair and just world. So it was an easy transition for me. I I like to remind myself and give credit to my mother who questioned society in so many different ways. Still does. She, by the way, is in her 90s with an artistic photography career that is really taken off. And she photographs a lot of the uh, human condition and helps people see and feel that. So it started. Uh, We have
2: to make sure we put her work in our when we talk to our viewers. We need to view her work. I would love to. I personally would love to see it.
3: Rosalind Fox Solomon. Love it. That's her website. And uh, in her nineties, her career is peaking and she's publishing books and and having shows and awesomely inspiring.
2: That gives me hope. So So I'm gonna deviate as a closing question if we don't mind here. So here you are in Tennessee in the sixties, right? And one of my heroes, MLK, right? Martin Luther King, definitely. And his, a lot of people did a lot in Tennessee. Did you have the benefit or pleasure or maybe not pleasure? Of you know being part of those experiences in Tennessee,
3: my mother did her best to expose my sister and I to the issues of the day, particularly race issues, because living in the South and seeing the Jim, the Jim Crow era reality with colored water fountains and colored bathrooms, uh, sit in the back of the bus, those kinds of things were very confusing to me as a young kid. And I now, in retrospect, of course, I've I mentioned my gratitude to my mother many times um, about this, but uh, one of the major events of my childhood uh, teens was the 1968 Democratic Party nominating convention in Chicago, where several hundred thousand young people went out in the streets. There was a police riot where many of them were beaten and gassed and powerful water hoses sprayed on them and things like that to try to break them up. But this was... A beginning of a societal awakening of a next step in that long slow journey towards enlightenment practices and uh, a society that is more thoughtful about about, uh, what its impacts are. And so I did get exposed and on the night of that what they call the police riot at the time watching on television hundreds of thousands of kids being beaten and standing there calling for a new reckoning with American society and global society and capitalism, basically. If you've got your heart open and your mind open and you pay attention to things, at this point in history where we have so much access to information, so much inspiration of people who are leading the way and taking risks and pushing new boundary edges, that's what gives me hope. And I, I got to see enough of it and, and I describe some parental influences mm-hmm. that turned me into a lifelong advocate and social change committed person. But I also influenced by the father who was the successful entrepreneur and did his best to do better in the work that he did. So I have the artist, the entrepreneur and the political family to make sure that I don't forget and get lost in making money alone but i'm looking to looking for a more just and sustainable future for everybody that's very lofty but we have to have high ideals and and set high goals and we do our best on them
1: that's fantastic well joel solomon has been our guest joel you have given us a microcosm of practically the mission statement of this podcast we often say, how can a business podcast about management and leadership and investment also have a spiritual, a metaphysical sometimes, you know, right. a side to it? And you've embodied those in your uh, story, and your journey, and your conversation with us today. We can't thank you enough for being on the show.
3: Well, kudos to you two for doing that kind of work. I really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Well, and listeners, you have heard how to put nearly a quarter of a billion dollars behind your belief system. You know, if you wanna change the world, you find a way, whether it's buying products at the store or buying mutual funds, where do you invest your money? You know, these are the decisions that we can make as individuals. But then as leaders, we can take that and elevate that to a higher calling, our full human potential and soul's purpose. Kirsten, thanks for another good conversation today.
2: So exciting. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Joel. Uh,
1: Joel Solomon, chairman of Renewal Funds. We'll have your contact information in the show notes because I know people want to connect and follow your work and follow the work of your company. So keep up the good work.
3: Thank you so much.
1: Listeners, come back again next time. We'll continue conversations with global leaders in all sorts of industries about how they're building organizations, new products and new ideas how they're funding those products, just how they're purpose-driven in their leadership calling. So until next time, for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and this is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey
0: Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak, Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy. Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.